And because we love the word of God, we are diving back into the book of Ephesians today. So join me, if you will, in chapter five. We're gonna pick it up in verse 22, and we're gonna go to verse 24 uh, today. The last time we were in this book was back before Palm Sunday, and we looked at what it means to be spirit-filled, and we looked at what that looks like in the church, and we explored this setting of being spirit-filled. And over the next few passages, what Paul is gonna do is he's gonna, uh, he's gonna dive into what that looks like, uh, not in the church, but also in the home. And we're gonna look at husbands and wives and parents and children, and then we're gonna tackle what spirit-filled looks like in the workplace. Uh, what it means to be a spirit-filled employee, uh, a spirit-filled boss. In Paul's day, that would have taken the form of slaves and slave owners. And so these are the areas of life. Marriage, parent-child relationships, and the workplace. Are those important areas in life today? What makes those such important areas? Well, they are substructures of society, of humanity. Marriage, the children that come out of those marriages, And yes, the workplaces that those children will eventually go out into. And when we read in verse 18 of chapter 5, we read that believers are to be filled or controlled by the Spirit. Where we go from there, the first place outside of the church context that that spirituality has to show up is in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting. Because if if you're not living out what it means to be filled with the Spirit there, it's kind of hard to be preaching that uh, anywhere else. And uh, we we noticed that where we're going to get in chapter 6 is spiritual warfare. We're going to look at what it means to, to put on the armor of God and do war with your enemy, with the devil. But before we get there... Uh, God doesn't have Paul just go straight from here's what it means to be filled with the Spirit and then go straight to spiritual warfare. He makes some stops along the way because these are very, very important stops because if you don't master what spirit filling is in the home, in, in your parenting, in the, on the job, then you're not gonna have a lot of integrity. So this book is a practical book. It's a rubber meets the road kind of book. And so this has all gotta be lived out in reality. And we begin with the area of the home. Is the home under attack these days? We've got an enemy that wants to target the home, and this is a very needed text, particularly about marriage, because we've got no sense of divine absolutes when it comes to marriage. Marriage today is just seen as a sociological phenomenon. It's just a construct. God has been removed from it altogether. The reason you get married, society tells you, is so you can be happy. Just be happy. That's all that matters. And so people get married to be happy. And when they discover after 15 minutes that they're no longer happy, (laughs) they just want to move on and find a new mate. You ever, uh, when you were a kid, did you ever pick up some of that zebra stripe gum? Do Do you know what I'm talking about? You remember zebra stripe? As a kid, it looked amazing. The rapper had this little zebra, cartoon zebra on there, and instead of black and white, it had these rainbow color uh, stripes, and it had this vibe of it was very juicy and fruity and all of that, and you couldn't wait to try a piece, and so I remember I got a pack of those one time, and I popped a stick in my mouth, and for about 30 seconds, it was fantastic. It was as advertised, but then after 30 seconds, all the flavor was gone. And so then you're basically left, you're just basically chewing silly putty at that point. And so you spit that out, you get another stick, and you go for it. You can get through a whole pack of zebra stripe gum in a matter of minutes. And for some people, that's how marriage is. You just, you just kind of get all the flavor out of this marriage. You move on to the next marriage. You find another mate. And it used to be that in the church, uh, the church was pretty rooted in truth and clarity on marriage. And these days, the church is pretty much in agreement with the world, you see. There are many, many evangelical church leaders who, who would oppose what I'm about to teach in this text today. And it's not because the text has changed. It's not because the wording has changed. It's not because God has changed. It's because they want to fit in with the pressures of the world, the pressures that are out there. And there are many notable Christians as of late that have had affairs, that have abandoned their mates, And Christians in general, sadly, are no longer a viable apologetic uh, for the validity of God as it pertains to the excellence of one's marriage. 
So, with that bit of encouragement, I am going to begin here, and we're going to start in the home, starting with the wives. We're going to start with the wives, and I'm not starting with the wives because I want to. That's where Paul starts, okay? Now, several weeks ago, I knew I was going to be out of town the week before Easter. That's when I originally planned on preaching on this text concerning wives, and I knew I would be in Florida, and so I thought, well, maybe Mike Smith would like to preach on wives. And so I call up Pastor Mike, and I go, Mike, old buddy, how would you like to fill in for me on the platform? He's like, well, sure, Pastor, no problem. I said, that's great. I'll send you the text, and I sent him this text. And a little while later, he texts me back. He goes, I've got a great idea for a standalone message on Palm Sunday. I thought, well, I'll bet you do. And so I thought, okay, fine, I'll teach on wives, okay? Now, I've taught on wives before. Uh, Sometime back, I taught on wives, and man, this lady called me up afterwards. She was irate. She was hopping mad with me. She's like, I don't know where you think you get off talking about this stuff. Why, you don't know the first thing about what it means to be a wife. You don't know what we go through. I don't know where you get your perspective, and how dare you, how arrogant for you to say some of the things that you've said. And I said, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, okay, okay, I'm sorry. She's like, that's right you're sorry and she said by the way we're out of milk so if you could just stop by the store on the way home that didn't happen but it could have all right so I'm going to be extra careful today as far as my own opinions go. And here's my guarantee to you, okay? You're not going to get my opinions today. I want to do, do my level best to draw from the Word of God because I really believe that God authored this book for our benefit. And so that's what we're going to do today. But we better pray for me first, all right? <laughs> Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing upon our time in this amazing book. Would you just uh, illuminate it for us as you do every week, God? And I just pray that we would see something applicable for our lives, not just as wives, but as husbands. And God, we know that, uh, that, that you have our best interests at heart. And so we go back to the original manual to see how you think things should be done, how you know and have dictated things should be done. And we pray your blessing upon us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Paul begins with the wives. And ladies, I just want to say that if you feel a little uncomfortable with some of this stuff, next week is the husband's turn, all right? So just hang in there. Paul starts in verse 22. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, why does Paul address wives first? Is it because wives are a problem? Is it because they need special attention? Is it because they're inferior? No, it's none of those things. It's because Paul is focused on the area of submission. Submission. As we've already seen in this book, in this chapter, everybody, every one of us as Christians, we are under submission. Uh, You never hear about submission these days, except in a negative sense. And if you bring it up in marriage, it's really dismissed, even though it's a biblical concept. And everybody forgets that the first time you hear about submission in Ephesians, it's in verse 21. What does it say? It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we've already read that together. And there's a reason that Paul doesn't uh, just go from being spirit-filled to spiritual warfare. God could have left out these areas of the home and the workplace, but he didn't. Why? Because he knows that we struggle. We struggle in these areas. And so we're okay when I read verse 21. We're okay in a general sense talking about submission Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And people go, amen, preach it. And then you get specific and you say, wives, submit to your husbands. And people go, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute now. Because then you're stepping on some toes. Things start to get a little personal there. But these are the areas that we need to have attention on because they're areas where you can't fake it. You can't fake spirituality in the home. I've tried. It doesn't work. All right, your spouse knows you. My spouse knows me better than anybody. My children know me, your children know you. Uh, And so this is why God has put this here. 
And as I preach to your family, I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to my family. Because the more intimate the area, the harder it is to maintain the level of spiritual respectability. And so before we go any further, let me just ask you a question. You guys believe this is the word of God? We've got to establish that when you enter into a text like this where there's a variety of opinion and where people get their toes stepped on and we want there to be flexibility. You've got to establish that you believe this is the word of God. I'm sure you've heard the illustration, the story about the naval commander, large naval ship, and he is informed that they are on a collision course with another vessel coming straight at them. He radios ahead. He says... Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. They get a transmission in reply. It says, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a, tra- a-, a collision. Well, the commander's annoyed. He's like, who does this guy think he is? And he radios back. He says, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy vessel. I say again, divert your course. They get another transmission. No, sir. I say to you, divert your course. He says, wait a minute. I said I am the captain of a Navy ship. The reply comes back. This is a seaman second class. Divert your course. And the guy's getting really irritated with this game of chicken. And so he finally, he radios. He says, look, this is the second largest aircraft carrier in the Navy. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, numerous support vessels. I demand that you divert your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. Or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. He thinks that ought to do it. They get one last reply. This is a lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) Folks, this book is a lighthouse. It is not something that is movable. It is steadfast, it is secure, it stays in place. It won't budge. But what's the point of a lighthouse? It's not to intimidate you, it's not to bully you. It's to protect you. It's to guard you against tearing up your life upon the rocks and the shoals that are hidden beneath the waves. And so that's why we need to look at this book today as we need to see it as a a lighthouse. And we see this word submit, and the word submit causes a lot of consternation. Any validity to that? Here's what I wanna do today. I wanna show you a number of things that a wife's submission to her husband is, and then I wanna show you some things that it is not. Okay, And the first thing that a wife's submission to her husband is, in your notes, number one, it is voluntary. It's voluntary. Wives, submit to your own husbands. That is an instruction, which means it's something that the wife can choose to do or not do. All right? Uh, It's a voluntary act. That doesn't mean that it's presented as optional. This is not a do it if it feels right type of thing. It is the right thing. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said to do it, but nobody's holding a gun to your head. You get to choose whether you do it or not. You remember your wedding vows? Officiant says, will you take this man as your husband? I will. There's a question and there's an answer. Will you love, honor, and obey? I will. It's a voluntary thing. This is submission. It's not subjugation. Subjugation is different. If it were subjugation, Paul would not say anything to the wife. He'd talk directly to the husbands. He'd say, husbands, coerce your wives with fear and force and coerce them into doing your bidding. That's what he would say. You see the difference there? This is submission. It's voluntary. Greek word used for submit is hupatasso. It means to place oneself under. I want you to think of an umbrella. An umbrella. It's there for your protection, but you choose to be under it. If it's raining, you get under that umbrella willfully. You recognize the purpose of the umbrella. Same word here, hupatasso, is used in relationship to government. In scripture, it recognizes the divine origin of that institution as being one that is authoritative and willfully we place ourselves under it out of respect and obedience. The the Bible describes the wife who will not submit to her husband. In Proverbs 27, 15, it says, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. It says, to restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. That can't be done. 
So in short, if a woman doesn't want to be respectful, if a woman does not want to submit to her husband, there's nothing that man can do. He is beaten. And so this is really up to the wife. It is voluntary to willingly recognize the nature of marriage, the role of the husband, the role of the wife, the divine perspective of those two positions. And she puts herself in a position of respect and obedience. She decides she decides. That's sort of power, isn't it? That's one way to look at that. And so Paul says, submit to your husbands in what manner? He says, as to the Lord. As to the Lord. So in your notes, number two, a wife's submission to her husband is done as unto Christ. It's done as unto Christ. This means that a woman, uh, as a woman behaves before Christ, that is how she behaves before her husband. We see marriage repeatedly in scripture as a picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And so how does one behave toward her husband? She behaves as she would behave toward Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that she worships her husband, so settle down, guys. Don't get so excited about that. She behaves, what does it mean? It means she respects him and she follows his lead. According to this uh, text here, how you speak to your husband, how you speak to him in private should be respectful. How you speak about him in public should be respectful. How you speak to him in public should be the same. And so a wife, a Christian wife, is uh, familiar with her husband's will and passion, and she anticipates it. She anticipates it. And you say, well, what if the husband is a jerk? Well, a lot of husbands are jerks. That's just a reality. Uh, Now, ideally, the woman has investigated this matter prior to marriage. That would be ideal, okay? And that's why it's so important to choose a mate that that honors the Lord continually, because that's going to make it a whole lot easier, you know? And that's why I tell people, vet this person very carefully. By the way, if some of you are here today, and you're single, and you're younger, And you hear me say, we're going to talk for the next three weeks on wives, husbands, and then parent-children relationships, and you're single, don't tune out, don't you tune out to these messages. You take notes on this. You get on top of this. You embrace this and get your arms around it now rather than later. Don't Don't go and try to figure this out after you get married, after you start having kids. Now's the time. You see, I I pastored young adults for many years and I've had many conversations with them. I've married a lot of couples. I've counseled a lot of couples, premarital counseling. I've told a lot of singles, a lot of young single ladies, you know, who are looking for a mate. And I said, make a list. Have you made a list? That's a a beautiful thing to do. You make a list. You decide what are your non-negotiables. And at the top of that list better be born again, maturing in the faith, Honoring to the Lord, all right? And then after those non-negotiables, then you just put whatever your preferences are on that list. They could be anything you want. Those are important too. God gave you personal tastes and proclivities, so you could put your preferences about physical appearance on that as well. Some of you like tall, dark, and handsome, put that on the list. If you like short, pale, and hairy, put that on the list. But you make sure they're honoring to the Lord because it's gonna make it a whole lot easier, ladies, for you to submit to this person after you're married. Um, The two areas that people get the most exasperated with pastors are in the premarital and marital phases of trouble, okay? I can't tell you how many people, when I've I've counseled some in premarital counseling that I just knew were spiritually incompatible and I was like, "I, I can't marry you guys, I can't. You're spiritually, you're not on the same page. And they get upset with me. They're like, who are you to say that? We're in love. What do you know about it? And then they get married and then there's problems and then the wife will come. I just don't know what to do. He's like this. And short of abuse or adultery, I have to go back to the scripture and I go, well, your recourse is, you know, scriptures say it's important that you submit to, to your head in, in the home. And, and she's like, well, what do you know? You don't know what I'm going through. And I would just simply say that if you don't take counsel on the front end, you're not gonna like it on the flippity flip. It's just not gonna happen. And so you gotta be careful. You do an investigation before you get married. This is someone who is honoring to the Lord. And when you do that and you're confident about that, Submission is a whole different ball game, but the reason, hear me, the reason a wife submits to her husband is not because her husband is perfect, because there's no such thing as a perfect guy. 
The reason a wife submits to her husband is not because he's a sterling example of righteousness and godliness. A wife submits to her husband not because of that man, but because of that God. Because of that God. Here's what Paul says in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. So this is number three in your notes. A wife's submission to her husband is part of a sovereign design. A sovereign design. God's design is for the man to lead. It's for the man to lead. Somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to lead. I don't care what it is. It can be a game of touch football. You've got to have a designated leader. It's been said anything with no head is dead. Anything with two heads is a freak. And so God has a design here. God didn't create man and woman at the same time. If he had, there'd be a jump ball. And that would not have ended well. Eve would have tried to out-argue Adam. Adam would have sought to abuse and subjugate Eve. Neither one of those is God's way. And so he's not looking for survival of the fittest. He's got an order in place. He makes Adam first. He gives him the, the, the commands of creation. Then he creates Eve. Remember what God told Adam to do? He said, Adam, name the critters, right? Name these animals. I can just imagine Adam out there. He's naming the animals. He's like, well, that's Mr. Lion. Oh, and look, Mr. Lion's got Mrs. Lion. Well, there's Mr. Giraffe. And oh, Mr. Giraffe's got Mrs. Giraffe. And there's Mr. Duck. And Mr. Duck's got Mrs. Duck. Well, well now, wait a minute. Well, there's no Mrs. Adam. And God says, Adam, Take a nap. Lay down, son. Why? Trust me. Trust me. You're going to love this. And he creates from Adam's body a helpmeet. He creates a wife from Adam's own flesh. Why? So that he would love her as he loves his own flesh. And it's because of this that, that he, doesn't, he doesn't put the burden on the wife to be lovable. He loves her because she is a gift. It's as though God said to Adam, you didn't make her, I made her, and she's a gift to you. And so he doesn't love the woman because she's so good. He loves her because God is so good to give a gift like that. And he's gotta be a steward of that gift. And so a wife's submission is not contingent upon her husband's worthiness. It has nothing to do with the husband. It has everything to do with the sovereignty of God and the order that God has built into the marriage. She's not submissive because she's coerced. She's not submissive because the man is really measured up this week. A lot of us don't measure up from week to week. A marriage has some divine rules to it. And once you're in it, you see that divine. And if you want to be married, according to scripture, this is how this works. This is how this works, and it makes no sense to us sometimes, but respect is not earned in marriage. Respect is not earned. In terms of that institution, it's not earned. If you're this kind of husband, then I will respect you. Not according to Paul. Not according to Paul. Submission slash respect in marriage on the part of the woman is not earned by the man. It is required by God. Women show their husbands respect. Love in marriage on the part of the man toward the wife is not earned by the wife. He doesn't love her because she's lovable. He loves her because it's required by God, as we're going to see next week in detail. Men love your wives. Now, prior to marriage, uh, a man creates the impression that he is respectable, but once you're in there, there are these divine rules, and they keep you, they're an anchor, they keep you from vacillating. Uh, it's not a moving target. God gives us uh, a directive so that we can stay true. We, we, have a, we have a true north in marriage. He doesn't leave things up to our opinion, to our emotions. This anchor holds us in place. This has got nothing to do with my spouse. It's got everything to do with God. It's got everything to do with his sovereignty because marriage is his institution. I don't get to muck with it, right? Don't we say that with regard to same-sex marriage? That's the argument there, right? I don't recognize, I do not recognize a marriage between two dudes. I don't recognize it between two dudettes or one dude and three dudettes, Okay? You say, but the Supreme Court said, Supreme Court didn't invent marriage. God invented marriage. We don't get to jack around with God's definition of marriage. 
And you know what's part of that definition? Also, submission. Love for the wife, submission for the, to the husband. And so this is part of his definition too. And we don't get to manipulate marriage into being what we want it to be. God gives authority to different entities that are present in our life. We see it modeled in the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. The Son was subservient to the Father. Remember the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. Son was subservient to the Father. Was the Father greater than the Son? They had the same divine essence. Holy Spirit is subservient to the Son and the Father. And yet they're all Trinity. But there is a, there's a flow there. There are differentiations within the Godhead and they work together in life. I don't get to, to mandate that those in authority over me measure up, okay? When an officer pulls me over for speeding, comes to my window, uh, excuse me, sir, do you know how fast you were going? Well, excuse me, did you have your quiet time today? No, I, I have to obey. Why? Because God put that authority over me. And it all works together. And you could see the order that is to follow that model in the passages that we're going to go ahead and look at uh, in, in Scripture. And we see this, and they are important, essential issues of life because they're foundational to civilization and they reflect the nature and the character of the Trinity, the triune God. Now, what is the spectrum of the wife's submission to her husband according to the Apostle Paul here? In verse 24, it says, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so here's what we learn in your notes. A wife's submission to her husband is, number four, comprehensive. It's comprehensive. That means that there is honor in every area. It doesn't mean you get bossed around in every area. It means there's respect and honor in every area. Uh, how the, the wife treats the husband when it comes to parenting. How the wife treats the husband when it comes to decisions in finances. Now, in my home, my wife handles the finances. And that's because she's way better at it than me. All right? Uh, but, I, but I am the head of the home. Despite that, that doesn't mean that I stand over her shoulder when she's paying the bills, when she's writing checks. You know, I trust her. I'm not demanding that she get a green light for me on every purchase. That said, she, she understands where my values are and what my preferences are. She's not gonna go and spend 10, 10 grand on something without checking in with me. And I appreciate that. I think that's appropriate. I would do the same thing with her. I'm not going to pull up with a brand new pickup, much as I might want to, without talking to the wife. And so there's this understanding. But there is a full spectrum of honor and respect on the part of the wife in marriage. That's how she talks about her husband in front of others. That's how she responds to him, including in private, including in intimate situations, including in the bedroom. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. It says, the, and this goes both ways. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Almost sounds like prison, doesn't it? Her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Huh. Do not, listen to Paul, do not deprive one another. Context is sexual activity. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer. Wow, that's some dedicated spiritual people, huh? Some of you are like, I think my prayer life is good enough now. I think it's time. So Paul says, then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Folks, the Bible is nothing if not practical. Isn't that true? Some of you are like, you're making me very uncomfortable right now, Pastor Scott. I didn't expect to hear about conjugal rights at church on Sunday morning. You know, some of y'all read your Bible more. You wouldn't be so surprised at what's in here. Okay. But a wife's submission to her husband, and this is the final thing I want to point out before we move on to the next section. A wife's submission to her husband is number five in your notes, and this is very important, an act of faith. It's an act of faith. For a wife, a Christian wife, to submit to her husband can be a very scary thing. In one particular situation, Peter, 
1 Peter uh, 3, 1 through uh, 2 and, and uh, 5 through 6, we're going to see. Uh, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And he's addressing wives who are believers with spouses who are not. And, and folks, when, you, when you're in that situation and you want to be obedient to Christ and obedient to the, the apostolic word in Scripture, you realize that even though I'm married to an unbeliever, according to the Bible, I must submit to this unregenerate, unredeemed, unsaved person. And that can be frightening. But when you do that, you've committed to obey the Lord even when you don't know what to expect from that, what does that demonstrate? It demonstrates great faith. Your faith is not in that man. Your faith is in a good God. Your faith is in a good God, a sovereign God. Your husband, saved or not, is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He is not ultimately uh, spiritually wise, but God is, and God knows what he's talking about. Uh, Peter goes on, verse five, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Uh, I have seen in my father's ministry, he, he has been a pastor my whole life, he's still a pastor, I've seen women in this situation, married to non-believers, they submit to their husband, and I've seen those husbands come to faith in Christ, I've seen it. I've seen it in churches where I have served. This has happened time and time again. I've also seen situations where the husband never came around, never came around, but the woman was faithful to God. She found her joy and her sufficiency in God, in obedience to Christ, and she loved and honored her husband even though they were an unbeliever and there were no more faithful women than that in our midst. I think of those women, some of the finest, most honoring, faithful women that I've ever known in Christian circles were women in that situation. And I would not hesitate as a pastor to have them serving in, in virtually any area in this church because of the great faith that they've demonstrated because they say, I'm not gonna try to be God and change my husband, that's God's deal, but I'm gonna be faithful to do what God tells me to do. And in doing so, she's got the respect of her children, she's got the respect of her church, the respect of her friends, and God can use someone like that. So if you're here today and that's your situation, let me just say, uh, we, we understand what you're going through, we recognize it is difficult, okay? You keep trucking for Jesus, all right? You keep moving forward because he, you are not alone. And that is one of the blessings of having a church family and a group community here in a faithful body and congregation like this. Now, here's what su submission is not, okay? We're at the end of our text. We got to verse 23. There's no more from Paul on this matter. But I want to show you what submission is not. I want to use some other scripture to say this. Because when you talk about an issue like this, I don't want there to be any misconceptions. It can be very, very misunderstood. And so here's what submission isn't in your notes. Number one, it's not inequality. It's not inequality. As with the Trinity, I've already pointed out, there is submission within the Godhead. That does not mean that one person of the Trinity is more God than, than another. Because John 5, 23 says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. And so if we derive our model of submission from the triune God and we see that even the components of the Godhead are equal in their divinity, we look at marriage and we don't see the male as being superior to the female in any sense. This is simply a matter of God's design of order. Of, of the way that he has willed for it to work, but it has nothing to do with men being greater or, or superior to the woman. Secondly, here's what it's not. It's not silence. It's not silence. Uh, Proverbs 31, 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. I don't trust in my wife and, and, keep her, and tell her to keep her mouth shut the whole time. If I'm gonna trust in her, that means that she contains wisdom that I need, that I'm going to benefit from. A wife speaks up when she disagrees with her husband. Mine does. <laughs> I promise you that, okay? And by the way, she's the wisest person that I know, and I value her opinion, and I want to hear from her. 
But how many of you know that there's a right way to challenge authority and a way that you do not challenge authority? Is that true? Just think of your own kids, okay? How you want them to come to you and, and, and ask questions, okay? But if you come to your husband, wives, and, and, and you want to disagree, and the way that you approach that is that the first word out of your mouth is, idiot. Where's that gonna go from there? It's done, you've lost him, you've lost the husband. When the name calling happens, it's over. Because you're not challenging what he's doing, you're challenging him personally. And if a man surrenders to that, he's lost control of the home, and he's wounded. And it's not a healthy situation. Proverbs 25, 15, and this is healthy for anybody, listen to this. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Wow, that is a cool verse right there. You want to break your husband? <laughs> you appeal to him softly. My wife starts by saying, can I just say something? It's over. It's, she's won. She's won. All right? I'm malleable, but if it starts out a personal attack, well, fight's just getting started in that, in that scenario right there. And so I want just to give you a clue in, if wives come to husbands and say, I hear what you're saying, but can you just listen to this for just a second? Let me give you a different perspective on that. Now, if I don't respond to that or at least hear that out, I am a jerk. I really am a jerk. And so it's really, when you think about it, it's a pretty subtle means of manipulation. All right, so wives, you're welcome. Guys, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, and you know, here as pastor, I have, the, I have the final say on a number of issues, not all, but some. And so if any of my staff, any of my pastors come to me and they go, hey, uh, hear me out on this. Can I just share something with you? You bet. And, and they share with me and it's a better way to do things. That's what I want. I want us to be better as a staff, as a church, as a ministry. Well, I want that in my home as well. So we need wisdom from our spouse. We need wisdom from the wife, and we need it delivered and and communicated in the right way. And when all is said and done, if I still decide I wanna do it my way, then she can say to me, honey, I may disagree with this decision, but I recognize your authority to make it, and you're the one who has to answer to God. (laughs) No pressure on that, right? And then number three, here's what it's not. It's not immobilization. It's not immobilization. Submission doesn't mean there's no freedom. It doesn't mean that there's no empowerment. No, there's a lot of empowerment. The Bible calls a wife and mother to be a manager of the household. A manager of the household. Proverbs 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. My house is run by my wife. And here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean she does all the cooking, cleaning, laundry, dishes, uh, vacuuming, all that stuff. I'm a member of that household. I'm responsible to be involved in that. My family is responsible to be involved in that. Our kids are responsible to be involved in that. When I say she's the head of that, when I say that she runs that household, here's what that means. That means that I trust her to make decisions for the children and for the home. And if she believes that the kids are best suited, are best served by being involved in a specific activity, I trust her to make that call. If she says that they, they should not be engaged in a certain activity, I, I'm with her. I back her play on that. And she has decisions, the right to make any decision regarding the home. If she's like, I want these walls this color, you got it. That's your call. Now, I forget this sometimes. Sometimes she's like, I want to do this with the furniture. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. She's like, you said that's my call. And I'm like, oh, you're right. And so... She gets that call. She gets that call, okay? Because I trust her. And so there's not an immobilization there. There's an empowerment there. And then fourth, what it's not, it's not abuse. It's not abuse. And I cannot stress that enough. We're gonna see next week, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Incidentally, for a husband to love his wife it's going to have an impact on the way that she respects him. I think one of the greatest authors on this subject on marriage is a guy named Emerson Egriches. He wrote a book called Love and Respect. It's totally based on this text and next week's text in Ephesians 5. Because when a husband loves his wife, you guys remember uh, what it's like when you fight with your spouse, you kind of get into what, this is what Emerson calls the crazy cycle. Okay, you start fighting about this thing and then about this point right here, it becomes something else. You say something and then the fight's about that. 
And then you get here and then something else is brought up and then the fight's about that. And then you get here and something else is said, now you're fighting about that and nobody seems to remember what you originally started fighting about. And so you just fight, 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 fight and you can't have any resolution because you don't even remember what the whole original reason was for the conflict. And so when we look at Ephesians and we go back to this, husbands love your wives. Well, the more a wife feels loved, the more she respects her husband. The more a husband feels respected, the more he wants to love his wife. And the more that she feels loved, she respects him all the more. And then with all that added respect, he just wants to love her to the best of his ability and it just keeps going. That's God's design. That's God's design. And it's protective measures. And there is no allowance in that loving of your wife for abuse. There's no allowance. Paul says in Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Submission does not anticipate abuse, okay? Uh, You gotta love your wife. It's a tall order, as we're gonna see next week, as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He laid his life down. He gave it up. He died for his bride. And so that's a, that's a tall order for the husband. But there is to be no abuse, no abuse whatsoever. Uh, this does not, when I talk about submission, the husband does not get to boss his wife around or physically abuse her. I've talked about in our Wednesday night hot potato series some weeks back when I talked about biblical justifications for divorce. One of them is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. Let him go, it says. Another is unrepentant adultery, okay? And some have asked me, what if there's abuse in the marriage? Quite frankly, I want to make this very clear. If you are being abused, physically abused in your marriage, if you're in danger, get out. Get out of there. And if you need help, you let us know. Okay? It is not God's will that you be in danger in your home. And so that's not what submission is. And then number five, submission is not absence of conflict. All right? Some people get really worked up because they they, they have conflict in their marriage. That's part of marriage to a degree. Marriage is not always smooth sailing. Abraham and Sarah, they clashed. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca clashed. Jacob and Rachel clashed. But the idea is though you bump and bruise, you don't break because the husband has to revert. You go back to those principles, love your wife, respect your man. Love your wife, respect your man. And this is how it's meant to be. And Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, and that right there tells you that conflict is allowed in marriage. Conflict is not forbidden. Conflict is not taboo. It's an art. There's a right way to do conflict. Few have figured it out. I am far from having mastered this. Okay, preaching to me right here. But if one has a complaint against another, what does Paul say? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You don't have to wait for them to apologize to forgive them. You don't. You don't. Uh, It's supposed to go like this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want to honor you. I need to honor you. Like I'm, I know I'm supposed to, like God says. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need to love you like I'm supposed to. So conflict is not forbidden, it's an art to be mastered and the manual for that is scripture. Now that's easier said than done when we rely on our flesh. And it's hard for us to imagine because a lot of us grew up in homes that were constantly rocking. They were tempestuous, like a, like a ship uh, at sea. And God gives us the anchor for that ship. And though it's hard to imagine, we've got to understand and begin to see it God's way. And then sixth in your notes, submission is not compliance in evil. Uh, It's not collaboration on wrongdoing, okay? You remember Ananias and Sapphira? Remember that story? In the book of Acts? They're part of the early church. Uh, This was a season when 
all the members of the, the first church had all things in common. They shared everything. That's how they survived as a commune of believers. And here's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They're Christians. Ananias claims to the disciples that he had sold a piece of property, uh, property for so much and that he'd donate the totality of those proceeds to the total body of the church. And, and Peter and company perceived by the Holy Spirit that that was a lie, that he had held back some of the money, that he was in fact lying to the Holy Spirit. They confront him on it, Ananias doubles down, lies again, and the Holy Spirit kills him, takes his life right on the spot, and they, they buried him. And then later, Sapphira comes in, and so then they ask Sapphira, is it true what Ananias said, that, that he sold a piece of property and you guys donated the totality of the proceeds? Now here's what Sapphira should have said. She should have said, Peter, gotta be honest with you. I love my husband, uh, but God bless him, he can be a bit of a fibber sometimes. I don't know where he is right now. Uh, but uh, God love him, he just, he's materialistic, but he doesn't always tell the truth. No, that's not true. That's not true, we did not sell for, but that's not what she did. She doubled down, she, she had her husband's back, and she lied to protect him. And there are wives who do this. And there are husbands guilty of horrendous things that are covered up by spouses. I've seen it. And, the, and there are some where the wife is complicit in those things as well. That's not submission. Unhealthy submission killed Sapphira. It's not God's design. We don't submit to the point of disobeying God. Just like I'm under the government's authority, but if they ever tell me to do something that is antithetical to scripture, I disobey the government. I answer to a higher power, okay? If they ever tell me I'm, I'm not allowed to do something that God commands me to do, I disobey the government because my first obligation is to God. And so you, you, you carry that principle out in your marriage. And then this is the last thing that I wanna share with you, that submission is not. Submission is not natural. It's not natural. Well, that's ironic, isn't it? It's not natural for a woman to submit. What do you mean, Pastor Scott? I mean it's not in the nature of a woman's flesh to submit to her husband. In the original creation, there was no mandate. You love your wife. You submit to your husband. It wasn't mandated because it was depicted in the creation. Adam was created first, okay? Eve was created second. I'm first, I'm second. I'm to love her, I'm to follow, and to be a helpmeet to him. There was no problem. Everything was fine. Then after the fall, sin got in there. Now there has to be a dictate. God says to Eve, in the aftermath of them disobeying and sin has entered the world and now corrupted and tainted everything, he says to Eve, he says, in Genesis 3.16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This is prophetic. Your desire, as a result of sin, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. More literally translated, it's your desire is for your husband. The word there, Hebrew, is teshuka. Teshuka, it literally means to devour. Same word is used in the next chapter in Genesis with Cain. Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. It's gonna eat you alive. How many of you ladies ever wanna eat your husband alive? That's some colorful language right there. What does that mean? It means that there will be an innate desire uh, in the wife to be contrary to her husband's will. This is a part of our fallen nature. Why is that? Because even though God gave authority to the husband in marriage as part of a divine design, that man is fallen. He is corrupted. He is not perfect. And that means that the second prophecy, the second part of that prophecy that God told Eve, he shall rule over you, he is prophesying about imperfect, fallen males who will try to uh, correspond with God's design, but sometimes it's gonna come across as subjugation. That is what is natural. 
And you, you fight against that, men, by being spirit-filled. And women fight against b- this contrarian outlook toward the husband by being spirit-filled. If the world wasn't corrupt, there would be this mutually in- interdependent relationship that God created uh, where uh, one spouse leads the other and the other is, uh, uh, honors and, and uh, is a help to that leader. Instead, sin has disrupted the perfection of it all. The battle of the sexes was created in the Garden of Eden, and both man and woman now are going to seek the upper hand in marriage and seek to wrest authority from one another. And the man who was to lovingly care for his wife now is abusive, now is uh, uh, power hungry, and now the wife who's who's commanded to serve, to love, to honor, to obey her husband, now seeks to wrest control from her husband. And this is not God's design. And so we can't do that which is unnatural in the power of our flesh, which is why Paul predicates all of this early on by saying you must be filled with the Spirit. Nothing we do that is pleasing to God is done according to our humanness, our flesh. We are capable. And so we need to be empowered. Men, women, as we'll see, children, employees. Every way, every area of life where we are to please God, it will only be accomplished by being filled with the Spirit by which we are truly able to do what we cannot in our flesh to love our wives perfectly to respect our husbands as God designed so that that circle will keep humming throughout life and be a mirror image of the perfect relationship in the kingdom between Christ and his glorious bride, the church. You think maybe God is smarter than we are? We keep trying to figure this out on our own. We keep trying to work harder and do better. And what we really need is the Holy Spirit to love and honor our spouses through us. Would you bow your head with me right now? I just want to pray for marriages in this room, including my own. I'm in need just like everyone in here. We all need the power of, of God's Holy Spirit because we're all imperfect. Heavenly Father, I just... I just pray your blessing to be upon everyone in this room. Specifically right now, I pray for the married couples in this room, God. And I pray that we would see ourselves the way you see us, that we would see our relationship the way that you have designed for it to be. And I pray that we would all submit to each other, but we would submit to you first and foremost so that we can operate in accordance with the role that you have designed, with the order that you have implemented that is reflective of your character. Because God, you, you love every husband in this room. You love every wife in this room. And together there are children in this room as well. And so their well-being, their health, their spiritual growth is gonna depend on how we relate to one another in the light of your word. And so we pray that we'd be consecrated to you and that you would empower us to live in accordance with one another as you've designed. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.